What's up, everybody? This is Kyle Krieger, and I am one half of the team at Lighthouse Educator Development and Value as Value. And I want to welcome you to this episode of the Value as Value podcast, along with Wilkie Law. We started this podcast three years ago to help teachers become the kind of teacher their kids deserve. And we're so thrilled to be joined by you on this journey and to have you be a part of our uh, teaching community. So you're here because you want to get better. You want to be that teacher your kids deserve. You want to be that teacher your kids need. And we hope to help you become that teacher by sharing our stories and the stories of educators from around the country of how they built their craft through experience, how they continue to sharpen their skill set through reflection, and how they're leveraging their authenticity to be the change that we need to see in our kids. So we're thrilled that you're here and we're so glad you joined us. But before you do that, if you don't mind hitting the subscribe button, we'd really appreciate it and sharing this episode if you find value. If you want to find us outside of this podcast, you can do that on YouTube uh, as value adds value. And as well, you can find us on Facebook as Lighthouse Educator Development or Twitter and Instagram. You can find us at value adds value. But for now, we hope you enjoy this episode of the Value Adds Value podcast. Hey, y'all, it's Kyle. Sorry to take this quick break from the podcast, but we wanted to answer a question we've been getting a lot from people, and that is, how can they start their own podcast? For us, the easiest and best way to do that is through Anchor. We love the Anchor platform, first of all, because it's free, and as Eric Crouch has free is always in our price range. Secondly, the creation of podcasts on Anchor is as easy as we found, whether it's through your phone or through your computer. We also love that Anchor takes care of distributing the podcast. We are on so many more platforms since we switched to Anchor. Um, they have the biggest ones, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any that you really um, want your podcast to be on. Also, you can make money from your podcast if that's what you want to do with no minimum listenership. You don't have to hit these minimum wickets to be able to bring money in through your podcast. It, it truly is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So please, go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Check it out to get started the same way we did. Now, back to the podcast. Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. I am half of the team at Lighthouse Educator Development, and this is our podcast that is uh, the continuation of a conversation we've been having as educators over the last six years. And what we hope to do with this show and what we hope you'll get out of it is that you'll hear real stories from real teachers about what's really going on in the classroom. And we hope with those stories that you're inspired, you hear things that you can take and you can use, but more than anything, you realize that you're not alone in this profession, and that above everything else, this is the most important profession on the planet. We do more for this country and this world than any other profession combined. And we hope you take that knowledge and the knowledge that our guests give you through this podcast, and you improve your teaching craft and the craft of those around you. So stick around. What's to come is another episode of the LED Project Podcast. If you want to connect with us, 
can do that by finding us on Instagram. We are at value adds value as well as at its.will.law.iii. You can also find us on Facebook as Lighthouse Educator Development. And we are also on YouTube as Lighthouse Educator Development. And before the podcast starts, we'd love it if you hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. So we hope you enjoy this episode of the LED Project Podcast. Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. I am, gotta say, I'm pretty stoked. Uh, this is a guy I've been following for a while on the, on the Instagrams. We got Hal Bowman on the podcast today. Hal, what's good, my friend? Well, I'll tell you what, dude, my Instagram game is pretty weak. I'm going to tell you that right now because my Facebook game is, is way on. Like I am on, I'm on point, brother. Mm-hmm. And it, I had that crazy um, viral video. I had a, a viral video that got like 26 million views. It was me um, in the backyard of my house yelling at some late, like online. Like there's a, there's a story of this woman that cut through the, the, the school drop-off line in Fort Bend County, and um, she's like trying to get to the high school, and she's trying to go past the cones and bypass all the, the crossing guards and teachers, and and a, and a teacher ended up on her hood of her car, like trying to stop her before she, hit, she like hit a bunch of kids, and she went on the news complaining about the teacher, and then like the news did a story about the teacher, how like how crazy he is, you know. So I had to defend the teacher, so I got in the backyard and yelled about the lady. <laughs> And like it went crazy overnight, like millions of views. And since then, dude, the Facebook thing has been out of control and I kind of forgot about the gram. But it's, but just coming back to that, like the whole premise, like I'm proud that you got that attention because you're a good dude and like you deserve it. But like the happenstance of, of the things that happen. And we were talking about this a little bit prior to, to hitting record that some lady is putting kids in danger and then she decides that the teacher that tried to stop her is the problem. Yep. And then from there you go on and you just tell it like it is. I lambaster her. And I felt, here's the funny thing, dude. I felt horrible about it. And like, I don't mention her name anymore. And um, I don't, I don't, I don't say where, cause like the, it just got so nasty. Like people were like in the comment section on after 26 million views and 500,000 comments or whatever it's at. You know, there's some horrible stuff in there. And so, like, I felt really horrible the first, like, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have done it. And I was talking to the kid, Coach Young, who was on the car. And he's like, yeah, I kind of feel bad for her, too. But he's like, dude, this wasn't your fault. She started. I said, no, dude, like, I I poured gas on the fire. And then we're talking about how bad we felt. And then she went on another news station and did it again and told the same story. And um, and he, he sent me the link. I was like, dude, I don't feel bad anymore. I'm over. Oh, all right. Let's let's not go. Let's not go that direction because we could just right go there. So <laughs> let's um to get everybody started for those people that might not know you. Let's hear a little yeah. bit of your backstory and and the happenstance of how you became a teacher. Yeah, man. Um, for sure. You know, there's um there's a lot to it. You know, just like anybody, I had those teachers in my life that played this like phenomenal role, and there was like a part of me that like, I want to be that person. Like, I mean, of course, you're growing up, you know, you know, primary school and middle school, you don't know the, what those emotions are that, but I wanted to be the, the type of influential person that made people feel the way that my teachers made me feel. And I wanted that too. And then, and then, you know, through middle school and, and uh, there was a big move in my family and then 
to another state and that things got really uh real hard for me and challenging and then um you know went to college and i and here's where i think the story changes for most people is i went to college to be a band director and I became a band director and uh, pretty quickly, I was pretty successful, went, went to really competitive programs. And you've been in Texas, so you know, like band gets crazy competitive. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I just had that moment where I was like, man, I, like this isn't for me. Like I, I love the teaching part. I just didn't like the band boosters and I didn't like, you know, summer camp and I didn't like, you know, uniforms and bus trips. And I just love the kid teaching part, but there's so little of that. So what brought me into teaching was band, but the reason I stayed is because I got out of band and I taught a bunch of other stuff where it was just me and kids. What did you teach after you were done being a band director? All right. So my plan was, let me just get in a classroom and I'll look through, cause you know, like in Texas at that time, I don't know if it's still true, but if you have one exit test passed, like in a degree, you just have to pass another test. You can teach that. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to have any hours. And I had zero hours in sciences because um, I was a music major, man. <laughs> so, but I thought to myself, I bet I could pass that biology test. So I went and got that, you know, biology for dummies book. And um, I read that for, you know, a couple of weeks. And I went and took that test. I got 71, baby, teaching. And uh, so I barely passed that. So I was teaching biology for a couple of years. And then I taught a study skills class. And that moved into some language arts and English. And then I was doing some... Um, uh, credit recovery stuff at a high school, trying to get kids caught up that missed a bunch of days. And then I finally finished my career teaching up for the last decade or so before I was doing this is um, I did PALS, which is a mentoring program. It's all high school kids. We go to elementary schools and mentor kids and then also teen leadership. So I was doing leadership and uh, student council stuff. Man, you, you, you went across the whole gambit of things to try to get to there, man. That's crazy. Dude, I can't even tell you like how many different classes I taught. I don't even know. It's like dozens. Because, you know, because, you know, when, when you're like the kind of teacher I was, you teach a bunch of different little stuff, especially when I was teaching small schools. Because, man, you like it just because just you sign up to teach one thing, that ain't all you're teaching, brother. Oh, for sure. I taught like typing and Spanish and all that stuff. And, um, and, and you know, I don't speak Spanish, but, <laughs> but it was South Texas, man. They sure did. And um, it's like, man, it sounds good to me, kids. That's a nay. And so, you know, I, uh, and then also K through 12 at some point in my 20 whatever years. So yeah, man, it's like a full spectrum for sure. Mm, that's, cr- that's crazy. But like, like for me, when I went to Texas, like my, so yeah. I was, I was broadfield social studies. So I took the broadfield social studies test, but then I was at the middle school and my principal, it was kind of like when they weren't sure if they were going to keep hiring. She's like, why don't you take the generalist test just in case, you know, if, if, something changes, we can keep you on as a different content teacher. And I took the generalist test and I had never English, never done science, never done math. And I managed to pass it. Right. Yeah. And that's crazy. It was always crazy to me that if I could have passed the physics test, even with no background, (laughs) I could have taught physics. Dude, I had no idea what I was doing in biology, but here's the best part. Like we killed it. My classes killed it because I had no idea. So it was a huge high school and we, I think we had seven biology teachers. And so each teacher, every seven weeks were in charge of like that week's lessons and curriculum in the lab and everything. Dude, I'm, I have a bunch of kids in the storage, like the science storage. I'm trying to figure out what these, that's a beaker. I don't know. Find a big, what's a beaker look like? Look that up, man. Hurry. <laughs> I have no, but between like me not knowing what to do and all those kids helping out like together, it's like our classroom family. We were awesome. Mm. 
definitely non-traditional, but it worked, man. So before it was cool to really get kids involved and have a student center classroom, you were doing it by accident. <laughs> doing it by ignorance. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with the work you're doing now, and this is kind of what we wanted to, to bring you on to talk about, you know, you, you were talking, you've been in over a hundred different schools. So hundreds for sure. Yeah. Hundreds. So could you talk a little bit? Cause you mentioned before we were, got on the podcast that you love the small town teacher. That's just like a gem yeah. that nobody knows about. And you were talking about how there's so many and they're all over. So explain a little bit about that and, and the best of what you've seen in. Dude, it's, let me tell you something, the best of what I've seen it's and and, and, and like I said, it is, it is everywhere. And, you know, whether if I'm in a suburban district, you know, just, you know, 10 miles outside of a downtown area, or if I'm in like an inner city or deep in some rural uh, community, man, it, there are, I, I'm telling you, there are the absolute best of the best educators everywhere, like secretly, like anonymously living this heroic life, making a difference in the lives of kids. Like, dude, they're, they're everywhere. And, 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 and probably like the best of what I've seen over the recently, and it's, it, well, it's fresh on my mind, is after this thing, man, we had Hurricane Harvey. And um, that wreaked havoc on schools. People focus on Houston, but it's really outside of Houston, like along the Texas Gulf Coast. There are these, I mean, hundreds of these smaller communities and smaller districts that were just devastated by the effects of Harvey. I'm talking like six feet of water in their schools. And so to this day, we have schools that have combined schools. They're, they have three times as many kids as they used to have. They, we have schools meeting in strip centers, in churches, I mean, everywhere. And, and the best of the best of what I've seen lately is this. Those schools that have been devastated, have, they have made so much improvement academically with their kids. And it's like, it's almost shocking because these, some of these schools were out for three weeks, some out for a month and they, and their scores still went up. They, they, they're doing amazing, there's amazing achievement going on. And here's why. This is my theory. I got a lot of theories. Most of them could be wrong. Here's my theory about why. Because nothing's going to improve. So they're in, you know, I've been in classrooms with 40 kids, 50 kids in a small classroom with large furniture. There's no, like kids have to climb over desks to get into their desk. Like once you're in, you're not leaving. There's no room to move. And, and listen, man, because of the hurricane, like technology isn't going to improve. They're not going to get additional space. Their uh, resources aren't coming. A copy machine is not coming. Books are not, nothing's coming this year. And so they had one thing and one thing only they could focus on. And that was people and, and the relationships between people. And when that became the only focus, because it had to be like, that was our only choice is that that was the focus. That is when we saw just extraordinary teaching everywhere in Viter, Texas, in uh, Orangefield, Texas, all these little towns, man. It's been beautiful. See, and that's, you know, and, and I don't want to undermine like, you know, JJ Watts, a dude, like he's my dude, Wisconsin yep. guy. Like what he did was unbelievable with his platform, but you know, the fact that, that, that is happening. And we were talking a little bit prior about why it is. I mean, cause that's almost why we started this podcast. Cause that story is not one that everybody hears. It's really not one that anyone hears. No. We just feel like until the teacher voice really is amplified to the point where like they realize that 
how many, like you said, anonymous heroes there are across the country. Cause I believe the overwhelming majority of teachers are killing it. Like just doing the best they can for kids. Yep. But you have this incredibly small minority, you know, like we were talking about with the student teacher relationships or the, yep. the incident in Idaho earlier this year with the border wall. Like, I just believe that if you ask a person what the be- what the value of a teacher is, like a an individual person, they can tell you and they can appreciate a teacher. But people, yeah. on a whole, for whatever reason, you know, don't don't get it. And I'm just wondering why you think that is. There's no way they could get it. There really isn't. And you know, now that I'm old and angry <laughs> and tired, I I think they call that crotchety. Is um. Dude, like if you haven't if you haven't seen the metamorphosis over a nine month period of having a class and kids that you love, there's no way you could understand the reality and of of a teacher. You know, here's the thing: like even the people, like if 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 you're a teacher, the people that know you the best and love you the most, even they don't get it because there's no way they could get it because, like my wife doesn't teach well she knows of my students but she doesn't love my students so because of that there's no way she could ever understand what it what what being in that classroom is really all about and and having that crazy just burning desire to be the most influential adult in the lives of those kids like that like I, I like that's what every teacher deep down want like that that's all that's that's what we sign up for is to be the one to be the teacher that they talk about for the rest of their lives and unless you do it i just man i just don't think there's any way you could really get it hmm. but how how do you think though we bridge that gap though so i yeah. guess maybe just that there's at least a semblance of the appropriate appreciation, not for teachers on a whole, but what individual teachers do on a daily basis and what we do for, but then again, you have to come like, do you think there's a more valuable profession to our country and our society than teachers? Dude, clearly there's no way, none. There's no way that, that there is a profession that's more valuable. The leaders of tomorrow are sitting in our classrooms today. And the, there's and the and the only impact the one thing that's really going to impact those leaders of tomorrow sitting in our classrooms today is that is that adult who has accepted the honor and privilege to stand before them every day and lead that family. That right there, again, is one thing that no one's talking about. And in addition to that, I think it is almost to the point of you know you know, looking at education and being a teacher as like a, like a B-list profession. Like that's the number one top of the A-list profession. That's it. And then everything else falls under the, in my mind. You know, it's the one profession that has taught the rest of the professions. Like, <laughs> it's like that alone. Right. You know, let that skin. So it's somehow, you know, a concerted effort. And I think it can only happen by teachers to bring that from the B list to the top of the A list in the mind of everybody else. So in your travels and in the work you do, what, what kind of conversations are teachers having? Yeah, dude here. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. That is, um, 
So this is one. This is this is part of my work, man. This is what I do. So a big part of my work is showing up on campus and really shifting school culture in such a way that it has a dramatic, significant, and sustainable impact. And one of the and one key to that is the conversation that teachers are having regularly, because the typical conversation, and there's a lot of reasons for this, if between teachers is is pretty negative. So there, there's a lot of, um, oh, this is so hard. And here's why. Like the main reason is why, because no one in your life understands. Like you can't go home and tell your spouse. If they don't teach, you can't tell them how hard it is. They'll say, oh, I'm sorry, but they don't get it. You know what I mean? So you have to tell, you have to process it by telling somebody who understands it and can be compassionate, right? So all oh my kids today are so terrible. They're just out of control. I'm so fed up with it. And then that compassionate teacher, their typical response will be, oh, I know, Camille, it is so, you're right. These kids, oh my God, here, let me give you a hug. Here's a donut. You know, where they're, but that is the most toxic empathy on a, that's what I call it. It's, it is toxic empathy because what's happening now, now, the, now, now we're in that spiral of negativity and now here we go rather than bringing that teacher, having the skills to bring that teacher back to the reality, which is, oh my God, this is so hard. These kids are so challenging. What if the teacher on the receiving end is like, hey, specifically, which kid are you talking about? Mm. Oh yeah, him, of course. Well, have you met his mom? She was up here the other day. Did you meet her? Have you been to his apartment? Have you seen what goes on once you get inside the gates of that apartment? You know what, man? I think maybe he's doing exceptionally well. Mm -hmm. based on everything he has going on outside of this school, which is the truth. Rather than, oh my God, these kids today. Yeah, yeah. Wilkie, uh, who normally does a podcast with me, he had a conversation with a teacher. A teacher at his school said, all these kids can just go jump off a bridge. Yeah, man. And yeah. he was like, which kids do you mean? Because his daughter happens to be in one of those classes. Yeah. And he like made the teacher cry. And he wanted yeah. to console her, but he didn't. He was like, you need to feel that. I mean, because I think that's one of the, the hardest lessons I had to learn is to stop saying they, them, these. It's so much harder when you say Billy, Susie, Johnny, Janelle, whoever yeah. is this. When you have to call it out by name or call that person by their name, it, you know, it, like, it really humanizes them rather than being able to make a blanket statement of they. Yeah, in addition to that, man, I think um, what I teach, one of the things we role play and do and talk about and make it a consistent part of the culture is to having positive conversations, like initiating positive conversations. And, and, and here's why, you know, and, and it's really, it is some, we have to own it and take responsibility for it, but there's this thing called neuroplasticity and what it is, like the thoughts that you have creates inroads and, you know, lines things up in your brain, neuro, like neurological pathways. And the more you have those thoughts, the easier those thoughts become. Well, in this country, that what we have because of the internet and a political situation, what's on TV is constant negativity, whether it's, you know, crazy real life housewives and Kardashians and Fox versus CNN and all, you know, all that stuff that goes on, it's constant negativity, which now it's way easier for us to find because of that's the way we're, that's, we're bombarded with that kind of stimulation. 
So we have to force ourselves to have positive conversations. You know, I was just at a school, one thing that they do now is uh, in the hallway, there's a predetermined time each day that teachers will come together in the hallway and have a positive conversation about kids in our classroom. So it might be like right after third period ends, these four teachers from those four classrooms come together in the hallway and they have one minute. So each teacher has 15 seconds to say something exceptionally awesome about a kid that's going on in their class right now. And they do it in the hallway out loud so kids can hear them talking about kids in a positive, awesome way. And then also, man, that just, it changes everything about the dynamics and, 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 and who they are in that moment so they can serve their kids more effectively and more passionately. So, so to that point, another thing you're real big on is, is school leadership. So how, how, how does school leadership affect a practice like that? You know, because you talk yeah. big about school culture, because a school that does that has a really positive, really good school culture. So, yeah. you know, what's kind of that relationship between school culture and school leadership? All right, man, this is, um, this is where things get heavy. So, yes, you can have that charismatic leader come in, like, super effective, and she comes in, and she is amazing, and, like, this whirlwind of energy, and everybody's up and pumped and fired up. And, and then when you talk to teachers, it's like, man, like, what's up with her? And, and you know, you'll say like, Hey, tell me about your school. And I'll say, Oh my God, we have the best principal. She's amazing. She's awesome. Or you could have like some initiative like PBIS or something comes in and you can see a little shift and people get fired up for that. But what I have found, man, is in the, those are like average to really good schools. But the differences between exceptional, like, like great schools, the outliers, is it's beyond the leader, it's beyond an initiative. And what it is, here's the difference, man. It's on those campuses, I find that every single person on that campus in every position truly believes that they are individually responsible for the quality of the culture on their campus. I'm telling you, man, I, there's campuses where the janitor, I've been, well, I was just at a school, janitor got teacher of the year. They voted and the janitor won. Oh, that's all. Awesome. He truly believes it's his job alone to impact school culture. But so does the librarian. So does the, you know, language arts teacher. So does the cafeteria lady. They, everybody does. And that's the difference. When there's that shift and everybody can take responsibility and own it, man, that is when amazing things happen. But you're not, you're not, that's not accountability that's on a checklist, right? That's, that's some intrinsic stuff, right? Not like I check off these things to say that I'm doing my job. Right. That it's a whole, it's, it's a whole nother level. So how, in, in the schools that you've seen that foster that kind of culture, like what are, what are some of the disciplines? What are some of the things, the structures, things that, that they put in place that other schools or other teachers can put in place? I mean, because it's not magic. There are some concrete things that those people do that make them successful. You know, I, I, here's the thing. It is, it, there are concrete things, but when you watch it and look at it, it seems all natural. Like, it seems completely natural. You know, here's a, like, here's a perfect example. I'm thinking about a school where you can go into school and there are teachers in the hallway everywhere, like greeting kids at the door, high-fiving kids, talking to kids everywhere you get right. Well, that if, if they had a position open and you applied and you got the job, you would do that just because everybody's doing that. Like you wouldn't hide. Right. You, it would be a social outcast 
to stay in your room, man, while everybody else is out there greeting kids. Mm-hmm. So, but that, but to be able to identify there, that's something that's very different. It doesn't, it's hard to notice because it's happening everywhere and it's, the culture is immersed in that. But like, but you can, you can initiate that. So I had this thing that when I, when I go to schools, one of the things we focus on is this thing called 10 by 10 by 10. And what we do is we ask every adult of influence, which is every adult on campus. Cause you know, we have, we want to help every person on campus understand that. Yeah, man, we all have a different job title, but we all have the same role. Everybody on this campus, the reason you have a job is to make a difference in the lives of kids. That's your role. Your title doesn't matter. And 10 by 10 by 10, we ask every adult on campus to meet with 10 kids for 10 positive seconds before 10 a.m. Now, for classroom teachers, they're not your kids. You're, you're already with your kids all day. We're talking about other kids in the hallway, kids that are not in your class, not yet, or kids that you had in your class last year, or whoever's in the, it doesn't matter. Meet with 10 kids for 10 positive seconds before 10 a.m. And that, like that one tiny thing alone, shifts everything i mean and that's as simple as like a head nod when you see them in the hallway or a high five or exactly that kind of stuff exactly dude and here's the other thing man like this this stuff happens regularly like in elementary campuses because like apparently in elementary you're supposed to talk to kids in the hall (laughs) but at the high school I can't tell you how many t- school I'll be at a school and I see like three teachers talking and walking and like a kid walks by and not one person says a word. But wait, that was an opportunity. That was a huge opportunity that we missed. That that, that kid missed because we just we, we don't it's because that's just not a part. And they're not bad teachers. It's just not they're in a culture where that 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 like they would be the outcast to talk to a kid in the hall. You know, and the crazy thing about that too that we've been talking about a ton is there is always another kid that saw those teachers miss that chance. Yep. So it's not just that one kid who's negatively affected. Yeah. Negatively affected by, I mean, cause if you don't take an opportunity, it's going to have a negative impact. And you know, even you mean you could run that as deep as you want. There is a first year teacher in the hallway across and notices out her window that a kid walked past three teachers and not one teacher said a word. And a first year teacher just absorbed that into his or her subconscious. Well, that's what that's what you do. So, so our kid, how do you spend a lot of time with kids? Yeah. So um, I do a couple of things, man. I do professional development for educators. We had this uh, event called Teaching a Rockstar. And teachers come out to events I host in hotels and conferences. And then also I go to individual schools and school districts and uh, spend the day. And of course, all that back to school convocation stuff in August, all that. And then um, I have another uh, event I do called Be The One. And that is where I show up on campus. And like I said, man, we really try to shift the feel and the culture and the vibe of that school in a single day. And the way we do that is working with the most influential personalities on campus. And so I spent during a typical school day and we schedule it so we don't interrupt instruction while I'm there is like, but we meet super early in the morning. We stay late is I meet with teachers. I meet with administrators, uh, leadership teams. I, and then a bulk of that time is spent um, with kids. And what we do is we pick what we, what they feel are some of the most influential alpha type personalities on campus because like I said man like we we could have this powerful charismatic individual leader show up 
and impact culture, but where it happens immediately and dramatically and sustainably is when it's led by kids and teachers. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I, there's, not... as, dude, there's 10 times as many kids on a campus than our adults. Right. And so, and, and so we, there's 10, get, ugh, 10 times the humanity of kids rather than adults. How many kids are in a faculty meeting? None. That's a little nuts to me. How many kids are on a campus improvement team? None. That's a little bizarre to me. Like, I really think that we need to involve those kids on, on just about every um, decision making that, I mean, in every opportunity that we can get. But it's appropriate, of course. So, so with the kids and with what you see now, the kids, what do, what do we need to continue to become as teachers, you know, not so much on the pedagogy side, but on the, on the personal side, what do we got to start becoming to really be those kind of teachers that are influencing culture? And, you know, that, that's such a, I mean, that, that's like the art of teaching, right? Because that's the funniest thing about teaching. Like there's me and my shenanigans that I try to do to keep everybody entertained and engaged. But you can go next door and see some 40-year-old, I mean, like a 40-year veteran, like a 65-year-old teacher next door with that, that can raise her left eyebrow and point at a kid and still have the same kind of impact it took me to do like a backflip off the desk. You know what I mean? So like everybody has their own style. But for me, the one thing that needs to be there is that is the understanding from that teacher that they have to be the model of what they want for their kids. And they have to do that. And they have to be the, the most authentic and honest person in front of their kids every day. Because, you know, our, like the kids just don't, this is a generation that really, they don't have heroes. Like they don't, like that doesn't exist. Like when I was in school, we did like a book report on your hero or something. You pick a musician. And the reason that we had heroes back then is because we didn't know the truth about these people. Kids today know the truth because it's on the news. And if you think about like the fall from grace of the most respected people on the planet, man, and like the, like the people that were most respected, whether it was a president or it was Lance Armstrong or Tiger Woods or Alex Rodriguez or some governor or some church leader, and, and they see what ended up with that in the news. So that's why these kids don't have heroes. So th there's one person that they need. It's you. It's the teacher who lives their life so completely honestly and authentically being a model so kids can see what it looks like. Like they have to see it so they can be it. So I'm going to show it so I can grow it in that kid. For sure. So I'm also interested to, I mean, as we kind of start to wrap up here, because I know I want to be respectful of your time. So we talked a little bit about your social media and that stuff that you do online. Yeah. Um, but then you also do a lot of the live stuff. So how, how do you see the benefits? Like what are the benefits of each I guess, different variation of, of the work you do on social media versus the live events and, but how do they kind of work together as well? Sure, man. I like, you know, obviously I love the live event that that's my thing and I, and I love it. And, um, but I'm also self-aware enough. Like I believe it's effective and I love it, but I'm probably, and I think I'm good at it, but I probably like, I probably believe all that stuff cause I like it, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So whether it's true, I don't know, but I re I do think the live event for me is critical because 
I think it's important for teachers to see what passion looks like and, and to see what complete emotional vulnerability looks like. And so when I do my show or, you know, my, I, I call it a show. Mm-hmm. When I do my professional development workshop, I mean, I need, they need to see what I'm talking about, a model of what teaching looks like, which for me is completely emotionally vulnerable, absolutely passionate, totally consumed in the moment. Like every cell of my being is obsessed with the moment that we have right now together. And I think a live setting is really the only way that you can feel that in the room and convey it to a group of people. Online, you know what, brother? I'm just trying to put the good stuff out there. Like I am trying to, I am trying to put fuel out there for people to have. I do these morning quotes every morning on Facebook. Um, I make videos right and left. I, I do the podcast. I interview teachers. I interview people on the street about their favorite teacher they ever had to help teachers understand. Look, man, this dude is 65. He still remembers his first grade teacher. You know, so, so for me, what my role, I believe, online is putting, is creating great positive content that fuels and inspires teachers to be the type of teacher they signed up to be. Mm. So, and just for the people who, who may not know who you are, want to catch up with you after this, where, where can they find you online? Yeah, man, I'm all over um, Facebook and um, Twitter and Instagram. It's all Hal Bowman. So at Hal Bowman, H-A-L-B-O-W-M-A-N, also at HalBowman.com. Yeah, yeah. So as we wrap up here, because like I said, it's Friday. Uh, we definitely want to be respectful of your time. So um, if there was one thing you think all kids should be taught, what would it be? One thing. Oh, man. You know what, man? I think um, here's the thing that comes to my mind first is I, the, the one thing I want teachers to teach all kids is whatever that teacher is passionate about the most in their life. You know, for me, that's what great teaching is, somehow using the content of your classroom, using the curriculum, the content that we're, we're, we're delivering to kids, how to use that as the vehicle to teach the lesson you want to last in that kid for the rest of his life. So, you know, you could call it biology, you can call it science, and I'll teach science, but I'm going to, but I'm going to use teaching of science as the vehicle to teach whatever I'm passionate about. You know, it might be courage. It, it might be confidence. It might be love. It might be respect. I don't know what that is because I do know this when kids are sitting around at the 30th high school reunion talking about their wacky teachers, there's a not, not one of my science kids is going to mention the periodic table. None of them. They won't talk about covalent bonds. They're not going to remember any of that stuff. But what they will talk about, I hope, is the family that we had in that classroom, the fun we had together, the, who, who we became as a result of that class. And hopefully it's what they are going to instill in their kids as that generation moves forward. Mm. That, that, let me tell me, all right, let me just, let me just, here's like one other thing is this. Like that is for a teacher to really identify what they're passionate about, like what, whatever the ultimate lesson is, like that, that's their what, right? What I really want this kid to have as a part of who they are. But in addition to that, if I, for every kid, you know, I think it's just the, for a kid to experience the feeling of being loved relentlessly. Like no matter what, man, no one gave up on that kid. Like a teacher never gave up on that kid. And for, kid, for, and like for that kid to feel that, 
day after day, because that instills like a, a feeling of, that they're worthy of love and that they can love other people, hopefully, especially their kids when they, they get married and have kids and become our leaders. Mm. So if you were going to give, you know, because this, this episode is going to go out right after the new year, if you were going to give teachers um, a piece of advice to really get on track, back on track, improve the track they were on for the remainder of the school year, what would it be? Mm, you know, I think, hey man, you know what, I'll tell you what, one thing great to keep in mind is this. I think often we think, that we, we think it has to be this monumental first day moment to really shift how we do things. In fact, that can happen on a Tuesday of any week of the school year. Like kids are that resilient. Like, you know, we, we could change everything and say, okay, here's how this goes down today. I've done it, man. I feel like when, when my classes got a little bit out of control, I feel like we're, we're losing traction. I feel like we're losing our, the connection between our, our, our classroom family. We don't, we don't meet in a class. We'll sit right there in the hallway or we'll meet in the cafeteria, the commons, the, the, wherever, and talk about what's happening because we have to like earn the right to get back in that classroom together. You know, so it's like that alone, just believing and knowing that you can change whatever you want on any day and the kids will be fine if you're consistent after that. But also, man, keeping in mind that it really is, you know, like if I want to make a difference in the lives of my kids academically, emotionally, personally, then like I, I need to do something different. And like, and like that, that's like a scalable thing. Like, if I want to make a little bit of a difference, I just need to be a little bit different. If I want to make a monumental difference in this kid's life, man, I've got to be monumentally different. And how can I do this? How can I do this class in such a way that it's different than anything else they're experiencing in this school? Those are the types of thoughts. Cause like, what could a teacher do? I like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know what, where, where that teacher is, you know, specifically everyone's different and their style is completely different than mine, but those are a couple of concepts that I think are really important for starting the year. All right. So final question down the road, yeah. we'll hopefully say it's 40, 50, 60, a hundred years down the road, depending upon what science does. Um, when it's all said and done, what do you hope your legacy is at the end? Legacy, you know, Dude, I think about this a lot, probably more than I should. And, and it changes. You know, I think, um, and I think that's an okay thing. You know, this is a, this is a journey. And, um, and with how society changes and I change and the world grows and I grow personally, professionally, I think it's okay to have like, to shift that thought of what my legacy might be or my mission or any of those, you know, our purpose. But I think for me right now where I'm at is I really hope that I'm doing a, a really good job at providing teachers with some information and tools and really more so um, just the permission to be the teacher that they've always wanted to be. You know, like every teacher had that moment where they, they think, man, you know what? I want to be the one that kid thinks of it. Like I want, I want to have that kind of influence or the kid is talking about me when their eight year old gets in trouble. I want them talking about me. What I would say, I th think deep down inside, man, like we all want that. Mm -hmm. And it, I think for me, it, it's really is, is giving teachers permission to teach their class in such a way that it's okay to want to be that and provide them information and tools and some inspiration and motivation along the way to help them achieve that. Mm. 
Perfect, man. Well, hey, I appreciate the time, and and I I sincerely hope that this is this is a relationship we keep we can keep going, and hopefully sometime not too far down the road we can uh, connect with you in person. Yeah, man, absolutely. I'm not sure next time I'm getting up to Wisconsin. Well, I'll, like I said, I'll I'll be in Texas for sure two or three times this year. Uh, cool. Bring it down, man. We'll hang out. All right, buddy. Well, Hal Bowman, appreciate your time, man. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Hey, let me tell you something also, dude. I, I, um, when you guys contacted me, I checked out your stuff, and it's great, dude. You guys are, you guys are providing such great content and information. And, um, and here's – I'm going to give you a little plug, man. Here's what I love about what you guys do is, is, I, is um, I always think back, how can I – is there a metaphor in my profession that I think would be um, appropriate? And, here's, and here it is. When I was listening to you guys, I thought, you know what, like how this applies to my profession is there were times I thought I was really good, but it was only because I didn't know better. Like you can't do better until you know better. And like when I was a young band director, I thought I was awesome until I went and heard another band. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like I didn't know that they could sound like that. Or like when I thought I was a great pals teacher and then I went and watched, you know, Chris Coble at Sci-Fair teach his pals like, oh my, I am terrible. I thought I was good until this moment. And what I think you guys are, do a great job is providing information to teachers and letting them hear experiences, which is critical, man, of other teachers. So that, that, that way they just know more information and they can bring more to their kids. So the, 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 the stuff that you guys provide is invaluable. Man, we super appreciate that. Super appreciate, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely, brother. Before we get started on this episode, everybody, we want to take a chance to talk to you about a platform and a company that we believe in, and that's Nearpod. Now, we've had a relationship with Nearpod for over a year now, and it is by far the best educational platform we've ever used. What Nearpod is, is a presentation and engagement tool that you can use with your students. The things we love about it is you can create lessons that can either be paced by you, the teacher, or you can create lessons that allow your students to work at their own pace. And it's interactive. And one thing they've just added that makes it so much easier is it can integrate with Google Slides and Focat. So if you want to try Nearpod for free, go to this website, go.nearpod.com backslash value adds value that's go.nearpod.com backslash value adds value to try nearpod for free